Hi, I'm Debbie George Adams. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about the virus is forever, now what? Virus model madness, virus response, a second opinion is needed. And finally, China exploits a weakened America. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. We're continuing our efforts here in Dallas, Texas, doing my show from home. Matt, the wonderful producer, is, is producing a show from his home. And so our set a little bit different, but we are right there in the theme of America Can We Talk, which is to preserve this extraordinary country. I want to start by telling you that I created a petition on the White House website. The petition is essentially called Let Americans Work Again. And if you're interested in signing that petition, I would so appreciate your reading it and considering signing it. You can on our website, americacanwetalk.org. My website on the homepage, you can find under blogs, it lists the petition. You can do the, you can click on it and sign on it there. I'm also going to put a posting at the end of this. If you're watching the show on Facebook, I'll put the link there, but it is a petition at the White House that says essentially, let Americans work again. I'm gonna come back after the end of the show today as we're wrapping up and talk about why I think this is so important because the everything between now and the end of the show is really about making the case that America needs to get back to work for a variety of reasons and can get back to work in many, many sectors and places. But I wanna start with it. This first segment actually was about, uh, was not about my petition, but it was about the idea that the virus is forever is the name I put on it. I wanna encourage you to listen. We're gonna start with uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, Fauci, who is President Trump's main medical advisor in creating policy related to how we're dealing with the coronavirus in our country. And Dr. Fauci has been in Washington for a long time. He's been through a lot in Washington. We're going to touch on different things about his life throughout the show today. But what I want to urge you to do at the first, I have two clips of his I want to first have uh, Matt the Wonderful play this uh, longer first clip that deals with essentially a questioning back and forth, Dr. Fauci, answering questions essentially about where we are on coronavirus in this country. So here is Dr. Fauci. Unless we get this globally under control, there's a very good chance that it will assume a seasonal nature in the sense that even if we, and, and, I, and I hope it's not just if, but when, we get it down to the point where it really is at a very low level. We need to be prepared that since it unlikely will be completely eradicated from the planet, that as we get into next season, we may see the beginning of a resurgence. And that's the reason why we're pushing so hard in getting our preparedness much better than it was, but importantly, pushing on a vaccine and doing clinical trials for therapeutic interventions so that hopefully, if in fact we do see that resurgence, we will have interventions that we did not have in the beginning of the situation that we're in right now. Every time I get to that podium in the White House briefing room, Margaret, I always essentially plead with people to please take a look at those very simple guidelines of physical separation. Because this virus doesn't discriminate whether you're in a small town, in a relatively yeah. secluded area of the country versus whether you're in a big city. And sooner or later, you're going to see a surge of cases. So I would urge okay. people to please take a look at that. Then the other quick clip I'm going to play before I tell you why this is so important in today's First Five to understand what he's saying and what implications it has for America and our future freedom. The other question, there was a much longer discussion in there, uh, which I'll get to in a moment, but the other question, I grabbed a short clip of his answer, relates to the use of the drug hydroxychloroquine, which is essentially the drug that do more and more doctors now are saying they are finding to be actually effective in bringing about the recovery from COVID-19 of, of 
patients in our country. So we've had test trials in France, other countries, doctors in other countries are claiming it's working well. It's originally an anti-malarial drug. They're using hydroxychloroquine uh, alone or with other, other drugs they combine it with. But the point is it's been doing a great job in numerous places around the world in helping patients suffering from COVID-19 and bringing about their recovery. But here's the, cute, the answer he gave on the question of essentially how important or effective is hydroxychloroquine. Here's Dr. The Fax. data are really just at best suggestive. There have been cases that show there may be yeah. an effect and there are others to show there's no effect. Okay. So I think in terms of science, I don't think we could definitively say it All works. Right. Okay, folks, the reason this is so important, I mean, this, is, uh, this first five for today is kind of setting the table for the entire show. In this country and around the world, as we dealt with this shock of 2020, this, this um, coronavirus coming out of Wuhan, coming out of China, uh, having a devastating impact around the world, we had many, many governments, including our own, respond with fairly draconian government measures, things not normally seen in our country. From the federal level, of course, we've just had guidelines, suggestions by the president and, and Dr. Fauci, the president's suggestions coming from what Dr. Fauci is telling him. But around our country, in, and I think there are only eight states now remaining that do not have a shelter-in-place order, a statewide shelter-in-place order, eight states. Um, and we have the reactions. So in addition to shelter-in-place, telling people to stay home, except for essential uh, errands, like going to the grocery store or the doctor or to get prescriptions filled. Uh, we've had the closing of virtually the entire market. We've had the closing of, of businesses. Unless you are engaged in an essential business, you're not allowed to be open. You literally must close down. We have in uh, Texas, and, I, and where I am, and most places around the country, we have police uh, more and more empowered to tell people that they're walking too close to each other in public, that you cannot have gatherings of more than 10 people, period. All sorts of restrictions on the otherwise assumption of freedom we live with every day in this country. We had those those uh, policies come into place because hydroxy because the coronavirus was a shock to many people. It was something that we did not recognize was going to be um, so problematic, and we we jumped and made fairly we kind of easily fell into accepting quite draconian measures on the parts of governors, mayors, and county officials. But what you just heard Dr. Fauci say. What you just heard him say is that a, we may not, with this may come back in the fall and it may even be a seasonal thing. So year after year after year, just like we all have become somewhat accustomed to the flu season, we become accustomed to season where people tend to get colds, tend to get flus. We may become heading toward a, a, a place in our world where we have coronavirus season upon us every year or twice a year. Who knows? He is in, in another um, conference, which I did not grab the clip from, but I want to share with you. He made a comment, Dr. Fauci made a comment about the idea that, you know, someone said, well, how long are all these measures going to stay in place? All these, these new, uh, not, not just their guidelines at the federal level, at the state and local level, they are mandatory, some carrying actual penalties of arrest and fines. How long should this stay in place? His answer was until the virus is gone. I want you to let that sink in. He is saying it may last forever. In this press, in this uh, interview you just heard, he's saying other places that we have to keep these draconian, repressive, anti-freedom measures in place until the virus is gone. So you put those two things together and he's kind of signaling he's okay with, he's actually good with America moving forward with this sense about itself that we just sit in our homes and wait to be told by the government whether or not it's okay to go out of our houses, whether or not it's okay to open our businesses. I want to ask Matt the Wonderful to replay that last shorter clip. It relates to the drug hydroxychloroquine because he's being asked about what do you think about this drug and how well it's doing. I want to ask Matt to replay that clip and then we'll talk about more about Dr. Fauci. The data are really just at best suggestive. There have been cases that show there may be yeah. an effect and there are others to show there's no effect. Okay. So I think in terms of science, I don't think we could definitively say it All works. Right. 
Okay, in closing out today's first five, I want to remind you that we have in our country, doctors around the country saying hydroxychloroquine is working well. We have tests from countries around the world. We have doctors in the state of Utah complaining that they cannot get access to the hydroxychloroquine. They can't prescribe it even though they want to because the state has taken control of it. And you have Dr. Fauci in this little clip we just heard. You have Dr. Fauci denouncing hydroxychloroquine and again, as he has been throughout this, this time, pushing vaccines. We'll come back to that point later. But I'm gonna wrap up the first five by saying this. You can be a concerned American who cares about the lives of senior citizens, susceptible and vulnerable Americans, who cares about the future of America, all of the things we all do and still say, we have to look at the question of how much freedom we are surrendering in our country how much freedom we're surrendering, and not just at this individual moment in response to individual mandates, but the bigger picture. How much freedom are we surrendering when we are saying in our country, well, if uh, the NIH or this Dr. Fauci again tells us in two or three months, hey, got a new big problem, everybody back home again, schools closed, business closed, do we all just salute or do we say, you know, we actually have, a big, have to have a bigger and better conversation about how we're going to react to this virus, how we retain American-style liberty in this precious country? And that, my friends, is today's first five. We know here in Texas, we've had a, quite an ongoing um, uh, battle. In, battle is, is getting close to the right word. We have a, you know, a Republican government in Texas, pretty much across the board, a Republican governor, majority of the legislature, uh, many jurisdictions around the state, although in the large cities and counties, and here in Dallas, we have Democrat majority uh, government. Democrats run everything in Dallas. So we've had in place a, um, a fairly draconian, you know, must stay in place, can't go out. We had our county judge uh, which is the um, highest official in Dallas County, uh, literally send in the troops the, to a business in Dallas, Texas, because uh, it, was, it was remaining open after the order came out that all non-essential businesses must close. That business is Hobby Lobby. They were remaining open because they do sell uh, the fabric to make masks, which was considered essential, and they sell school supplies, which are vital for all these parents who are now homeschooling their kids. But we have the county officials storm in, you know, literally stormtroops shut down the store, put a notice in the door. You may not be any longer be open. So we have some officials taking their uh, signal that this is their time. You know, their kind of inner tyrant can come out. But in this segment, I want to talk about why some of those things happened and, and why more and more of us have to be alert to what kind of models, mathematical models, are driving this kind of behavior. Because I will say this uh, probably several times during this show. I do think when the virus first became public news, and everyone's aware of how dangerous it was, uh, potentially could be, I think many, many, many Americans were looking for protection from the government, were looking for the government to try to figure out what we're going to do. Listening to experts seemed the wise thing to do. So many people, I'll give them the, the good faith break that they were acting on good faith because they simply wanted to protect, I'm talking about elected officials, wanted to protect their citizens. They, everyone was sizing up the danger, and as we were sizing up the danger, we had numerous models emerge that people relied on in making policy. And I'm gonna tell you, models, and I've said this on the show before, but it matters to keep in mind as we go forward, because many people will point to models and say, well, look at these numbers, look at these predictions. Therefore, any draconian shutdown, can't leave your house, can't open your business, can't go to work, orders are justified because look how terrorizing these models are. So I want to talk about it. This happened in Dallas County. Dallas is not alone. It happened all over uh, this precious country. But you had, number one, you have models that were simply inaccurate and because they had bad data, made bad assumptions. You also had models driven by some people's political bias. And again, I want to say about political bias. If you're a model maker and you think that your accuracy, your data you put into a model is a life or death decision and that you therefore should probably err on the side of 
increasing the hint of danger, increasing the suggestion that there's going to be uh, a serious, serious problem. And the suggestions were not, their modeling, they included things like how many people will contract coronavirus, how many people require hospitalization, how many hospital beds be required for ICU, intensive care units, how many deaths there may be. So you, if you're a model maker and you are even one of good faith, you're still driven a little bit by the idea that you round want to err on the side of claiming this is a serious, serious, serious problem. You don't want to have anyone be able to point to you and say, look at those models. They were you know, kind of cavalier uh, and therefore people got a little bit too confident or they weren't worried enough. They, weren't com they wouldn't be compliant enough with the government's orders because after all, they got these kind of uh, not so alarming models. But some models were more than just uh, you know, more than just inaccurate. And I want to mention some of them. We talked about some of them on the show before, um, but I want to just mention some of them to you so you understand. These were not models, you know, made up in the, um, you know, on, on the street corner by a bunch of goofballs. These models were attached to organizations that had at least at face value a, a reputable, um, ha had a reputation of someone who should be taken seriously. One relates to a prominent model used in much of the decision making around this country related to shutting down our country was a model made um, out of the University of Washington, a, a, their Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation, IHME, Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation, funded by Bill and Melinda Gates. That organization used the model, used numbers more or less um, that were coming from the, now that organization came up with their own numbers on April 4th, just as an example of how far afield they were from reality. On April 4th, uh, this model that was created, so this is just a few days ago, this is Saturday, uh, the data that was in their model that was used by many jurisdictions in justifying draconian police state measures, on April 4th, the IHME model predicted there would be between 120,000 and 203,000. So between 120,000 or 203,000 Americans requiring hospitalization, uh, blah, 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 in reality, there were 18,000. Reality, how many Americans hospitalized as of April 4th, 18,000, or it's almost 19,000, 18,988. So almost 19,000 was a real number, but predicted by, as predicted by the IHME model, they predicted between 120,000 and 203,000 Americans. Model way off. And again, you know, this is not a uh, unheard of institution. University of Washington, a very reputable university. Uh, you have the... Um, the uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation behind that. Similarly, you had data that came from a group, we've talked about this in a show before, but I wanna mention it again, and this is this um, COVID Act Now group. COVID Act Now, I wanna say, you know, it sounded like a somebody jumped into action and tried to do something efficiently. This is the data that was relied on Dallas County that caused the county to pretty much shut down everything in the county. The COVID Act Now, I'm going to tell you again, I mentioned it one time in the show, but tell you again who the people are behind this, lest you think this is some, you know, reputable medical institution. The founders of this website called COVID Act Now that generated numbers used by officials around the country included Democrat Representative Jonathan Christ Tompkins and three Silicon Valley tech workers who are also Democrat activists. So the virus comes, they're dying to have a reason to, uh, you know, I mean, the Democrats are dying to have a reason to use this as a major crisis to stir up America, because of course they can then, as they have been, use it to attack Donald Trump and the Republicans. But those people who put together COVID Act Now include Zachary Rose and Max Henderson and Igor Kaufman, all also donors to various Democrat campaigns and political organizations since 2016. Uh, they don't, some of the, uh, a couple of them donated to the Hillary Clinton campaign in 2016. Prior to building, building the COVID Act Now website, Kaufman, Igor Kaufman, created an online game designed to raise a million dollars for the eventual 2020 Democrat candidate to defeat President Trump. So these people were not unbiased. On top of that, the numbers that, I mean, they obviously are Democrat activists. They enjoy creating the perception of chaos in this country because they can, they believe that Donald Trump can be blamed for it. They came up with numbers that were so far afield uh, from reality. I'll just share a couple of them with you so you don't think I'm exaggerating. COVID Act now predicted that by March 19th, 
the state of Tennessee could expect 190 hospitalizations. 190. They had instead 15. Similarly, the same, the same organization, COVID Act Now in Georgia, COVID Act Now predicted 688 hospitalizations by, by March 23rd, um, and instead they had fewer than 300 hospitalized. Um, and I could go on and on, but they took their data from that Imperial College. We talked about them before, the Imperial College in England that had made had come up with these just astonishingly scary numbers. And you use those and you say hospitalized now. So I could continue with this, but uh, one more I will do just to make brief reference. We talked with him on the show before, but uh, in at Stanford, Professor John, um, and I, he has a, I believe it's a Greek last name. I may be mispronouncing it, Iadonis however you say his name, Professor Iadonis, he is the uh, Professor of Disease Prevention in the School of Medicine. He holds a chair in the, uh, in the as a Professor of Disease Prevention in the School of Medicine at Stanford, and he sounded the alarm several weeks ago, our reaction to this virus is wrong, it's off, it's too much. We are, as he said, basically said, of course we have uncertainty, we don't know how it's going to behave, but his concern among the main points he made in his piece, which he, think about this, you're with Stanford, and you're trying to calm the, uh, the leftist-driven hysteria in this country, and yet he felt compelled to put a, an opinion piece in the New York Times, the example he gave, where he's basically getting at, look, this is contagious, and people are going to get it, and some percentage of people will become very ill, and some small percentage of people will pass on. But he's saying we are reacting. He said we'd have very, very different public policy if we're reacting to projected 2 million deaths or 3 million than a far lower number. So he's looking at mortality rate. How many people in our country who contract this are likely to die? One thing he talked about, he had the only example they had at the time, which was a closed population of people was that cruise ship, the princess, the Diamond Princess cruise ship, where they had uh, people contracted and it spread very quickly throughout that cruise ship. In that cruise ship, they had 700 infected passengers. 700 contracted the coronavirus. They had, in that, among that 700, seven pass away. Seven, real death rate. And so he talks about the, the death rate there, which is zero, 0.125 and says even if you take the normal statistical assumptions about the um, you know this this percentage could be wrong the death rate could be inaccurate so you do a range below range high he's still saying the real death rate could stretch as far as 0.025 to five times here which is still just 0.625 I am not saying that the deaths of individuals don't matter. Obviously, everyone's life matters. We make policy to protect life. But it gets around to the last thing I want to remind you, two last things about data before we get to talking about what we're going to do about this in our country. Um, one thing that I want to mention is that even, um, even the uh, Fauci, who is running our whole reaction to the coronavirus, said in a piece in the New England Journal of Medicine, and this was in, I believe, February. I don't have the date in front of me. But in February, based on all the data he knew, he said, you know, we're likely to have the overall clinical consequences of COVID-19 uh, maybe more akin to those of a severe seasonal influenza, which has a case fatality rate of approximately 0.1. So even he, the architect of our everyone stay home and uh, don't do anything, uh, is saying it's a low death rate. I'm not saying death rate doesn't matter. I'm saying you have to have those factors in order to get to the proper policy, which ties me into what I want to remind you again on bad modeling where we are. You had Dr. David Katz. He is with Yale University. He's a president of the True Health Initiative and the founding director of the Yale Griffin Prevention Research Center. He gets his institution is so well respected. He gets CDC research money. Katz wrote in the New York Times that we had gone after, we had approached the uh, threat we all face from coronavirus it, with the wrong model. His words, I talked about in the show before, but today I've linked this story. You can read it yourself in his words. His basic argument is that we should have responded to the coronavirus with a vertical interdiction, a vertical meaning 
You focus in on the susceptible people. You focus in on those who are vulnerable, which are you know people of a certain age, uh, health backgrounds, uh, immune deficiency system, uh, immune deficiency for whatever reasons, other health challenges that make you more vulnerable. Focus public policy on protecting them. He was saying that's how we, what we should have done. We did instead was horizontal interdiction that we went about handling our reaction to coronavirus by telling the broad swath of perfectly healthy American people that you have to stay home, that you must stay home, that you are frozen in place. And he was saying this horizontal interdiction, even he talked about this can have a very detrimental effect, not just on our country, not on, on, on people being not being very happy, but actually in the whole way our culture deals with and responds to this virus. So um, I'll, I'll tell you one more uh, data point uh, that, I, that is just, I think, impossibly important, and then a story. In fact, I will tell you, I'll do the data point and then the story to tell you what is happening in our country. We have a media. We have bad models predicting deaths, death numbers. The models have been wrong in case after case after case. I only read a few of them too. I could have read more data to tell you again that many models have been wrong and they have all been predicting more contractions of the infection, more hospitalizations and more deaths by orders of magnitude than are actually happening. But one last piece, and so all of that can fall under the category of, okay, we're trying to be really, really careful. So, you know, we're thinking we better just alarm people because maybe they'll behave better and, and honor social distancing and all the things we're supposed to be doing. So we're making, you know, exaggerated predictions. It's not okay to do that, but maybe that, that was in the back of the minds of some people. But I want to tell you something CDC did. And I, we've been talking about these kind of things in the show. I didn't go into this, I don't think, last week, but I want to be sure to mention to you. CDC, the Center for Disease Control, which is the official organ of our country that puts out the information that tells people a uh, percentage of people at risk, people who have contracted it, people who have been hospitalized, people who have passed on from it. They're the official data crunchers. The CDC put out official advice in this country telling hospitals to list COVID-19, the disease you contract from coronavirus, to list COVID-19 as the cause of death in cases, even if you're just assuming or it only contributed. So they're saying, even if you're just making an assumption, you can list coronavirus as the cause of death, COVID-19 is the cause of death, when you really don't know it was the cause of death or if it only contributed to the cause of death. So now there's new data out showing that, you know, every year, sadly, in this country, we lose people to a variety of diseases, including pneumonia. Well, there's now data out showing that the number of deaths from pneumonia that are, are lower than normally, they're, they're below the norm for where we should be right now, while all these COVID-19 deaths are listed as it seem higher, but it's because the hospitals are being told, you know, if a patient dies of pneumonia, but it appears you assume maybe COVID was part of it, or maybe COVID-19 contributed to the cause of death, put the cause of death as COVID-19. The point, my friends, is that we have the official arm of the federal government pushing up the numbers trying to increase the numbers of people in our country that are listed as having died of COVID-19. And I'm talking about artificially, dishonestly, lifting those numbers up, pushing numbers higher to frighten and scare Americans. So last thing is just a very, you know, we've, um, this little case I'll mention just in a moment, for just a moment, but uh, in the state of Connecticut, we actually had uh, a, a uh, very sadly, a baby, a, an infant, I think it was six or seven week old baby, um, died over the weekend. The Connecticut governor put out the story that this was actually uh, the first known uh, death of a baby of coronavirus. And so you're thinking, my gosh, I mean, obviously it horrifies everyone. It frightens and horrifies mothers and pregnant women and just, just everyone. A baby died of coronavirus? How could this be? So Candace Owens uh, never one to uh, hold back when she's concerned about something. She dove into it. Candace Owens, the founder of Blexit, the uh, black conservative activist, 
she dove into it and, and it appears was given information by the hospital. Someone from the hospital contacting her saying, you know what, actually, that's not really right. What the hospital said, attributing the cause of death of this baby to coronavirus. The baby, sadly, seems to have been asphyxiated or you know, whether it was a, an accident, the baby was in the care of a caretaker, uh, whether the uh, asphyxiation uh, occurred, you know, sadly, unfortunately, or, you know, by accident, but for whatever reason that can occur, uh, could have been sudden infant death, could have been uh, just an, un an unfortunate accident at home. The point is the baby was non-responsive and, and did pass on due to asphyxiation. And the autopsy included, oh, the baby's been exposed to coronavirus. This, these are two different points. The fact that, and, I, and heaven forbid, I'm telling you, friends, the idea of losing a baby, any parent on the planet knows to lose a baby has to be devastating. I am not in the slightest, uh, you know, mitigating their loss or, or in any way. I, I am just saying that this is a great example of the government using coronavirus, COVID-19, to spread fear in the case of Connecticut, probably also to access more tax dollars uh, in their state because they have now a recorded death of a baby. And so now the hospital, because Candace Owens raised such a point about it, in fact, she has called for the governor to resign. The hospital is actually looking into it again, saying, yeah, we'll, we'll get back to you about that. We're not really too sure about that. Uh, what really happened with that baby. And I'm just getting at my point in, in these kind of understandings, I'm talking about why our virus response and second opinion needed is we are too far down the path. We are too far down the path in this country of just having our opinions shaped and our, our reactions shaped, our expectations shaped by people who are manipulating data and being dishonest with the American people about the coronavirus. So I want to turn and talk about why I say second opinion needed. And I, you know, I, I am, you know, I'm obviously a little bit of a play on the, um, you know, people get all, all sorts of times they go to the doctor and decide they want to get a second opinion before they undergo, undergo surgery or treatment for a variety of conditions. America needs a second opinion beside Dr. Fauci. And I do not, I mean, you know, I, I don't know the man. He is uh, 79 years old. He's been in uh, that position or in some position in the federal government dealing with disease management uh, like forever. Um, but he is someone who had experience dealing with uh, pandemics during uh, President Obama's term, uh, dealt with swine flu, you know, did nothing like we're doing now nothing like we're doing now had a even after more cases and more deaths he was out there saying the best advice he had you know advice about shutdown no advice stay at home no advice you know all essential businesses must be shut down just kind of a you know uh if your kids aren't feeling well keep them home from school if you don't feel good you know uh stay home take it easy get lots of rest kind of advice I'm getting at that we are in our country, we have to recognize that the advice being given to our president is from Dr. Fauci, and Dr. Fauci has a lot of reasons that you could be a little bit concerned about him, um, starting with the idea that I don't know why, if a do of the other uh, doctors we mentioned have been talking about we're overreacting, we need to do vertical interdiction, why can't we just protect the vulnerable and not, not you know, sentence everyone to stay at home, you don't hear those kind of things out of Dr. Fauci. In fact, he was lamenting recently, lamenting he cannot possibly understand why the few remaining states that actually let their citizens uh, go, you know, uh, go outside, that don't have uh, shelter-in-place orders, he doesn't understand what's wrong with them. Of course, they should be doing that. He actually made reference to the destruction of the American economy and the danger to our economy of just having it frozen as an inconvenience. It's just inconvenient for Americans. And so I, I think he's, number one, not behaving the way he found you, not behaving the way he did under President Obama, not really responding to very renowned uh, experts in the fields of infectious disease who are saying that we could try a more uh, focused approach, we could try a more narrow approach. He's kind of good with uh, the way things are going in our country, which is pretty much we have our country frozen in place. Um, I'll also mention Fauci's the one uh, who is just a... Um, you know, you're allowed to like whatever politicians you want. He has a very bizarre relationship and very bizarre fondness for Hillary Clinton. He twice in things we've talked about in the show before and put up has put out 
what are now public emails because they were discovered uh, in the course of looking into the Russia-Trump collusion and all the emails that Hillary and her team are receiving. He, Fauci, was sending emails to Cheryl Mills, the Hillary Clinton lawyer, not just saying, you know, tell Hillary, hang in there, great job, good speech today. Two different times that we know of put in, in emails to Cheryl Mills, please tell Hillary we love her. Her speech brings tears to my eyes. He was praising her for her testimony in front of the Benghazi hearing, which brought her to her famous, what difference do, at this point does it make when we had the loss of four Americans at the hands of Islamic terrorists in Benghazi, and she and her team covered up for and lied over a period of time about what really went on uh, in Benghazi. So. You know, we have a Fauci guy who's fond of Hillary, who is a, um, you know, made this comment about it being inconvenient, as though that was really the reason, um, and behave very differently under the time when you had, um, uh, when, when you had a very, very serious, uh, um, you know, pandemic happening with swine flu. Last thing people have been talking about, I, I really do think, when I, I named this segment Second Opinion, I think Trump, President Trump, needs to identify one, two, three, or four other true experts in infectious diseases, not people affiliated with Hillary Clinton, not people affiliated with the Clinton Foundation, as Dr. Burks is, not people who have been on the American left, but infectious disease experts, bring in Kat, uh, this Dr. Cass from Yale, bring in the Iodonis guy from Stanford, bring in the other two Stanford professors, medical professors, who also wrote a Wall Street Journal piece saying, this is a crazy overreaction. Get some of those people into position so Dr. Fauci does not have the unique dictatorial position of the dictator of all policy, health policy, uh, related to how we're going to deal with the coronavirus. We need to have a renewed uh, feel in Washington that says we're not going to surrender to the Fauci edicts, given there are enough reasons to be concerned about where he's coming from and what he stands for. I'm not saying he's a bad guy and want Americans to die. I am saying he's a leftist. And I want to get into one last point about him as that is troubling me more and more. And I want to share it with you. And some of you actually, and my listeners, emailed me or put notes up on, I can't remember where all the places. I get information from or contact from so many listeners uh, via email and comments on YouTube and on Facebook and private message and also in Twitter. So it's hard, a little bit hard to keep up where they're all coming from. Uh, but I have had more and more messages about the idea of Fauci uh, should actually uh, be questioned just because of his affiliation with Bill Gates. And I, and I will say, I, have, I am very appreciative for some things, in fact, many things Bill Gates and the Gates Foundation, Foundation have done. They are trying to do well. They're trying to help the world. They're trying to do good things. But does not mean just because Bill Gates means well and his foundation means well, that his foundation's activities or views should guide and direct American health care policy. So let me tell you what I'm talking about. Uh, actually, one last little thing. I saw people making comments about how the, um, um, how, excuse me, how Fauci had, I'm sorry, how Fauci had uh, made a speech at Georgetown um, right before President Trump took office. It was early January 2017, so Trump had won, but he wasn't in office yet. He was going to be sworn in January 21st, but Fauci made a speak at an infectious diseases conference at Georgetown in which he basically said, he felt, based on his years and years of experience in Washington, there was no doubt that Trump will face a surprise infectious disease outbreak. Now, people are saying this makes Fauci doubly suspicious because what is he talking about? Here we are in 2017, and he's predicting an infectious disease outbreak. Of course, Fauci says, you know what, I'm as he even said in his statement, based on my years of experience and watching pandemics move around the country, I think these things are, you know, likely. It it's certainly in the realm of likelihood. But now I want to talk just a little bit about plant these seeds, and we'll be talking about... Um, uh, we'll be talking about this more in the uh, days and weeks going forward about how much we have a, um, a just a very questionable feel um, coming from Fauci as it relates to the um, to Bill Gates and their initiative. To start with, there was an event called Event 201. And by the way, everything we're talking about, you can read the articles on my website, AmericaCanWeTalk.org, on the homepage under shows, drop down, list of links, you can find all these articles. And you can find my petition, 
Um, I'm mentioning it at the close of the show. My petition is on the homepage. You can click on that and go and sign the petition. I urge you to do that. You get, you get 30 days to get 100,000 signatures. We're already four days into it. So, uh, you know, we probably won't get to 100,000, but I'm going to try. I want to get enough signatures to, and the point of my petition, to be clear, is to inspire the Trump administration, to send the message to him, the American people are with you. We want to have our country return to work. We want to have some of these draconian orders lifted. We want America back engaged. So, but to tie in Fauci and, um, and Bill Gates. In October of 2019, there was an event that was called Event 201. The event was sponsored by and participated in by Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, the Center for Health Security, World Economic Forum, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. At Event 201, it was invitation only, small group of world leaders basically planning out what would the world do? How would we react? How ready are we to respond to a pandemic? And they specifically talked about a pandemic involving a coronavirus. Now, if you don't know, to be clear, coronavirus is not a new word that came up in this era in 2020 from the Wuhan, you know, where it spawned from Wuhan and, and moved into the world. Coronavirus is a term, it's, it's, you know, years and years old. It has, it's been used in the past, refer to other viruses. This is now being called the novel coronavirus because it's a new one, but it's a type of virus. So back to event 201, Bill Gates participated in and his foundation and talked about essentially how would the world respond to a coronavirus pandemic. So, you know, it's, it's, I will say this in a positive way. I think truly Bill Gates, you know, he made his billions. And I, I think honestly, it, it kind of, at, for many people who come into that kind of wealth, who don't inherit it, who make it, I think many of them have the sense, I should be trying to do something good with my money. I should try to be, be trying to help the world. I should not be just floating around on a yacht someplace and, you know, zipping around on my private jet. I should be doing things for the world. I will credit him with good intent and good faith. And this is a really logical thing, even though for the common people in America, well, like you and me, it would seem kind of exotic and extreme. This is the kind of thing they think of, you know, what are you going to do? How are you going to try to help? So trying to help the world figure out, are we ready for a coronavirus pandemic? However, so following from that and related to that, it's important to understand that there is a mission within, within the United Nations, this idea of this 2030, the year 2030, by the, 2030, by the year 2030, uh, we can, the World Health Organization being behind this, we can essentially solve many of the world's problems. There's a list of 19 things we can solve, poverty, racism, uh, illiteracy, um, you know, hunger, it lists all these things we can solve in the world. Most of those things, and the agenda, of course, is how do we get there? How do we make the whole world? It's kind of utopian. I think it's unrealistic, but it's, you know, it's 2030 is this idea we can make the world some utopia. Among the things that they list, the goals they have, the vast majority of them include the goal of getting the whole world vaccinated everybody must be vaccinated and so there is a mission and bill gates obviously in his foundation hugely supportive of vaccinating people around the world and you know some people look at that and say hey he's just trying to help you know it's just a um in fact this i will say the immunization agenda 2030 from the world health organization includes immunization vaccines and biologicals and the agenda is basically we get to everybody by 2030 an immunization agenda a global strategy to leave no one behind you know and this is funded and supported by bill gates finally final point and tying fauci to where i'm i'm getting to my point about him and why i think trump needs a new person he needs a second opinion on how he should respond to this um, virus coronavirus there is, from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, there is a global health leaders, they launched a decade of vaccines collaboration, so they collected world leaders. Global health leaders launched decade of vaccines collaboration, and they're basically trying to get world leaders to collaborate on 
How do we come together and get the whole world vaccinated, leave no one behind? Many statements that make it sound like, you know, you're pretty much going to be either forced into this or in some way have your rights limited if you don't participate. But on the list of the leadership council of the global health launch uh, of the decade of vaccine collaboration is none other than Dr. Anthony Fauci. So I'm closing my segment and I have like one more segment to hit in just a, a moment, a very, very quick thing. But my point in talking about this is it has been surprising and, and alarming and, and not good to realize how often Dr. Fauci has eye-rolled or dismissed or mocked the idea that the hydroxychloroquine and other similar drugs being tested, manufactured, ought to be released and used as quickly as possible in our fight with the coronavirus. He's too dedicated to the idea of a vaccine being the solution. I am not against vaccines. I think, I think they're a matter of individual choice. I think if companies want to create them and people want to use them, that's their business. It's a free world. But the idea that it playing into the back of Fauci's head in this, how do we deal with this unbelievable problem? And we have hydroxychloroquine doctors around the world saying, we're seeing cures. We're seeing people, uh, you know, recover from the coronavirus, recover from COVID-19. But somehow, you know, when those, those uh, stories are told or he's on stage, he's very, as he was in that clip he played in the start of our show, kind of like, well, yeah, it could be help. I'm not too sure about that. I mean, not, not giving credit to it that other doctors are. And the broader other point, and then I'm going to close up this segment in one more extremely short segment about why we shouldn't weaken ourselves in, in light of what China is doing. There is, in this whole way in America, that we are deciding how we deal with the coronavirus and with COVID-19, it's actually a very vivid display of the difference between how a globalist, left-wing, you know, control freak mindset works and how America and freedom are supposed to work. And so when Fauci is up there being the advisor, more or less, to President Trump and everything that is coming out of him, coming out of President Trump, is emboldening and, and encouraging and legitimizing the little, uh, the elected officials around this country, governors, county uh, commissioners, or whatever the head of your county is called, mayor, city councils, issuing edicts. It's all a response that is of the mindset that says, you know, the, the ruling elite's going to solve this, the, the Bill Gates, et cetera, we're going to solve this. All we need is the power. And we need you to be fearful so you give us the power so you don't question anything we say you don't question anything we do and you're going to if we say the vaccine is the answer you're going to do the vaccine and if we say that you're going to stay in your home every time coronavirus comes about seasonally every year everyone's going to run back and salute in their home this is how the left-wing mindset works i will give as i said earlier in the show I will say when we first had this crisis arise in this country, we had people even on the right say, you know what, we, ha we have a pretty big problem here. We don't understand how this virus works. We don't want to endanger our people. The safest course is to go on nationwide lockdown. Only essential businesses open. Only essential reasons to leave your house. Mandated, uh, you know, stay in your home at th and, and walk in public six feet apart and do all these rules that things that the government's government is imposing. This is that left wing mindset that says, let us take control and we're going to decide everything and you're just going to salute. And in the beginning, it was kind of like, okay, maybe we have to do this because we're not quite sure what's happening here, but we've been in this long enough. We have now, out of Washington, we have both Fauci, Burks, and others saying that the next two weeks are crucial. The next two weeks will tell us so much about the trend and, and the famous curve and flattening the curve and the numbers and where we are. We're going to know all this, supposedly, in the next couple of weeks. But the spirit of liberty is rising up in this country. The spirit of liberty, people saying, wait a minute. You're telling us the virus is going to come back and be seasonal? You're telling us you're almost sure to be back in the fall 
how long are we going to live in this more or less police state mindset that waits to be told whether we're allowed to go to work, whether we're allowed to open our business, whether we're allowed to go out in public for reasons that are not essential. There is a spirit of liberty rising in this country that recognizes we can handle the virus in the way Dr. Katz and other responsible doctors are saying, vertical interdiction, protect the vulnerable and let the people live. That's the point of my petition. I really urge you to go on my website, AmericanCanWeTalk.org. On that website, you can click on sign the petition. You can sign it there while you're there. Subscribe to my newsletter. You can hit subscribe, put your email address in, and you get once a week email from me. And so the last thing, I don't have much time left in the show today, so I'm just going to cover this in a cursory way. I think we'll be getting back to China, the subject of China later in the week. But I want to mention that the country of China is astonishingly, they were the source of the virus. Not only that it came from Wuhan, but they lied to the world about it. They tried to hide it from the world. They tried to hide it from their own citizens. They lied to the World Health Organization, which we are now all learning they control. And now China is emerging as a world leader or attempting to emerging as a world leader and trying through their officials in various countries all over the world, their representatives from China in countries all over the world to paint not only to paint America as the bad guy, but to paint America as inept, as America unable to take care of the problem, as China having been far more, far better, far more efficient, far better in every way in having handled this uh, problem. And so they are literally positioning themselves to benefit in their long-term mission for world domination. If you don't know anything about China's mission for world domination, we've had this topic in my show many times. We've had experts from China. We've had Gordon Chang talk about it is the long-term Chinese mission since the time of the emperors. It is a view held by today by the Communist Party that China, the people, the Chinese people were intended to, do, to have dominion over the world. It is an ancient Chinese philosophy. It is also the philosophy of the Chinese Communist Party today. They are using, they intend world domination. You can listen to my Gordon Chang interviews. You can listen to other interviews I've done recently of various experts who've talked about, written books about China, uh, talked about what China is engaged perpetually in warfare against us, and we don't even see it because they're not lobbing bombs and you know uh, sending submarines over here to sink, sink our ships or something. They're not doing those things. Very high level, sophisticated, ongoing warfare by China against America. They're taking advantage of coronavirus, which gets me around to pointing out that this is the reason America cannot weaken itself in response to coronavirus. We cannot have our factories closed while China's factories are opening up. We can't have our car manufacturers shut down as they are while China's factories are opening up. We have to stay strong and be strong to be able to respond to all that China is doing, including, and I'll close that with this, China is making not so subtle efforts around the world to demand that America fire Mike Pompeo, that America get rid of Mike Pompeo because he is, he, you know, he is, um, embarrassing them. He's the one that called the G7. You know, he is our Secretary of State. He is. He called the G7 together in an emergency uh, meeting and said we have to recognize China's propaganda on this coronavirus is dangerous to the world. And the G7 went along with him. China is trying to tell America we have to fire a Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, because they don't like the Pompeos pointing out the truth of how extremely dramatically and dangerously China is attempting to expand power as a response to the virus they themselves unleashed on the world. I could talk more about that, but as Matt, the producer, uh, if we were in studio, he would be trying to signal me saying, I think we're about out of time here. So we're about out of time. But I always at the close of my show, I'll tell you, first of all, why I do this show. I do this show. I've been doing it for over five years out of a singular mission to protect, defend, speak up for, and speak out about the extraordinary, unique greatness of America and how it is our generation's turn to understand and defend and protect America. It's our generation's turn to do that. It is a... It is a duty we have in our, as, as the American people to defend this country, to recognize the threats against it, 
the American left, the anti-American left is threat enough against the American people, threat enough. But what we're now facing in this coronavirus and the weakening of our country, this is the left using the coronavirus to attack President Trump, to undermine our nation, our entire nation. We have our economy shut down, weakening our country. These are the kinds of things I talk about in the show because I ultimately the show is dedicated to preserving America, the most extraordinary, unique experiment in human liberty ever to bless this earth. And I close out every show by telling you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we talk at first on the show today. The virus is forever. We just had uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci tell us, so virus is forever. So it matters because initially the U.S. pandemic responses were reasonable in relation to the sense of emergency, urgency, and protectiveness versus a not yet understood virus sourced to China. Anecdotally, CDC and toxicology studies will leave anyone, I don't even talk about this, I, I, I will talk about another show. If you ever talk to anyone who's actually studied toxicology and uh, gone through advanced training, they'll tell you the world is filled, filled with viruses and germs and microbes, things that, I mean, I've had friends tell me who've gone to grad school to study this kind of stuff, to say you leave classes thinking, how did humanity ever survive for a day given the astonishing number of various kinds of germs and microbes and viruses that live all over the planet and always have? And the answer is we live just fine. We need to not overreact just because we have a new virus where you're still dealing with. And I did mean to say that earlier, but Anyway, anecdotally, CDC and the toxicology studies will leave anyone with a sense of helplessness against all manner of dangerous and proliferating microbes. But it's time for Americans to rise to their heritage and take the 50,000-foot long-term view. Life is meant to be lived, to have a purpose, vitality, joy, not perpetual, long-term, shelter-in-place every flu season. Men and women are to have a sense of dominion, of overcoming, not hapless surrendering. Can the government tell us who can work and when? Can they tell us what drugs and vaccines we must have? When do we vote to give up all of our freedom? Sign and share my petition. Again, it's called Let Americans Work Again on my, my website, americacanwetalk.org. On the viral model madness, I got to tell you folks, model creators, they may have had good intentions, but they're human. They have fears. They need and they like money. They can gather wrong data or misinterpret data. They have agendas, both international and domestic. CDC is directing, facilitating, over-listing of, of COVID-19 as the cause of death, distorting data, distorting truth, manipulating America. A Connecticut governor misstated the cause of an infant death, maybe to get more funding, but he stoked unfounded fears. COVID Act now purposely stoking fear to encourage stronger government action. Do not bow to experts or models as if they are infallible because they are not. On the virus response and a second opinion needed beyond that of Dr. Anthony Fauci, Yale Professor Katz touts vertical interdiction, interdiction, focus on the vulnerable. Multiple doctors now touting positive results from hydroxychloroquine. Yet Fauci, Burke's prescription is based on models that are not panning out. It's absolutely killing small business throughout the country. Anthony Fauci is a problem. The Bill Gates Fauci worldview has a distinct bias for global vaccination mandates. Fauci interprets information to confirm his biases. Virus could be forever until the vaccine. Hydroxychloroquine, not certain. You know, he's too dismissive of it. Bizarrely professes his love for Hillary Clinton. Okay, he's a very weird guy. Pre-Trump inauguration speech, January at Georgetown, January 2017, predicts a surprise disease outbreak to face Trump, dismisses economic collapse as inconvenient. Fauci was not elected emperor. Trump needs a second opinion. And finally, China exploits a weakened America. This is the other reason besides just wanting America to be strong again, is recognizing we weaken, we're going to be hurt by our enemies. Focus on disease analysis and statistics must not blind Americans to the big picture. What is happening to America and who is benefiting from a weakened America? Enemies are not sitting still. China, which is still pursuing its mission of world domination, is pushing for, for Pompeo's dismissal. 
attempting PR plays with claimed, oh, I didn't even get into all this, claimed shipments of ventilators massed to other countries, some of which didn't work or were faulty, churning lies and disinformation about the origin, the spread, and the current status in China, effectively killing off democracy protests in Hong Kong, refusing acknowledgement of Taiwan uh, to the World Health Organization. There's more at stake than flattening the curve. The world needs a strong America. And that, my very precious friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much for listening. You can email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. I love trying to answer. I'm way behind, but I love trying to answer. I love and so appreciate the opportunity to talk to you every single day, Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, to talk about America, the most precious, extraordinary gift we have been given, a gift of living in freedom. And I do this show to protect and preserve America. I speak up for America because America matters. I'll talk to you next time. America, can we talk truth about America? Can